As we continue in our series on encountering Jesus and taking a look at a variety of uh, people in Scripture, people in the day of Christ that he met and engaged with, sometimes as I walk through a text, you hear me stutter step through it where I read a portion and talk about it and read a portion and talk about it. That's because the tension is found at various points or junctures in the text. But this morning, the tension is the text. The text itself is the tentious moment. And so if you have your Bibles, Matthew 15, I'm going to read the entire text, Matthew 15, beginning at verse 21, and then we'll dive into God's Word. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed, suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came, kneels before him. Lord, help me. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is the word of the Lord. What is going on in this text? She's crying out for her daughter to be healed. Jesus is silent. He calls her a dog. What is going on with this text? What happened to Jesus? Did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed that morning? Was he just a little bit grumpy? I mean, what is going on in this text? These are texts that we as Christians need to be able to wrestle through. What's happening here? I mean, theologically, we know God can't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Is that not good news? That never happens. And as we look at this text, we need to grapple with what's going on here. What's happening within this encounter? You see, as you look through Scripture, there are people that have no faith. That's the Pharisees. People like the Pharisees in Scripture have no faith. The Sadducees, no faith. There are then people who have little faith. That's the disciples. Jesus, Jesus even says to the disciples, Oh, you of little faith. But a couple of times in Scripture, Jesus says of people, You have great faith. And neither are Jewish. Both are Gentile. And he says of them, You have great faith. They're not the people that have been walking with him for these years. They're not the ones that have seen him day in and day out who should be saying it. They're not the ones who will be the apostles. But he says they have great faith. You see, faith isn't just believing in God. Faith is believing God. Faith isn't just believing in God. Faith is believing God. So verse 21. They left that place, and Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So as 
they withdraw. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's then walked on water. He's then had a conversation with the Pharisees about defilement, and he leaves. And he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's Gentile territory. They're towns about 20 miles apart, and he's in that region in Gentile territory taking a break. Tyre is cursed in Scripture as one of the centers of Baal worship. Well, this Canaanite woman from that vicinity comes to him. She's crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed, suffering terribly. She's a Canaanite. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a parallel account. She's called a Syrophoenician. A Syrophoenician. Well, Matthew here calls her a Canaanite, though the Canaanite people no longer exist because she's from Canaanite ancestry, and historically, the Canaanites and the Jewish people were enemies. So he's setting the stage. This is someone outside of the covenant. This is someone who isn't of the seed of Abraham. This is a Gentile, and we're in Gentile territory. Syria was the province of Rome because the Greeks had, so you know, the Babylonians took over, then the Persians took over, then the Greeks took over, and now the Romans have taken over, right? And so Phoenicia was the Greek region, but Syria was the province that Rome had renamed it, and so she's known as a Syrophoenician, both talking about the Greek and Roman. So it's just saying she's a Gentile of Gentiles. Mark says that her daughter is little. She's a little girl, and she's demon-possessed. I imagine this woman has gone everywhere to get her daughter healed. I imagine she has tried everything. I mean, wouldn't you? If your daughter was sick, if your son was sick, wouldn't you do anything? Even as your children are adults now for many of you, if one of your kids was sick, wouldn't you do anything for them? Anything you could to help them? Because they're your kids and because you love them. She's done everything. And she hears Jesus is in the area. I don't know how she knew about him. The Bible doesn't tell us. Had she heard of the feeding of the 5,000? Had she heard about some of his miracles? Had she heard about some of his teachings? We don't know. But somehow she has some knowledge of him. And she's tried everything else, and now she's before him. And notice what she calls him, Lord, Son of David. In this text, she will call him Lord three times. Lord, Son of David. Son of David, Messiah. Son of David, the chosen one. Son of David, the promised one. But she knows who the Son of David is. You're the Lord. You're the Lord. You're the Lord. Three times she will say that. My daughter, she's demon-possessed. She's suffering terribly. Could you do something? Could you heal her? Could you have mercy? Jesus didn't say anything. I don't know for how long he was silent. I only gave you like an awkward 10 seconds. And some of you are looking at me like, why is he stopping? Why is he not going? Jesus was just silent. For how long, I don't know. But he's silent. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, remember we're here on retreat, right? His disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. You know, we got away from the Jews. The 5,000 have been fed. You've walked on water. You're at the pinnacle, the height. 
of your popularity. We can't go anywhere without people crowding around us. We can't go anywhere without people talking to us. Jesus, whew, we're here. We're in Gentile territory. We just want retreat. We just want to rest. We just want to break. That's all we're looking for. This woman is bothering us. Send her away. They just don't get it. Jesus wasn't in Gentile territory just for a break or a rest. He was there to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He was there to declare his hope to them. That should be good news to most of us today. I'm assuming very few of us in this room are Jews. I'm assuming most of us are Gentiles. Aren't you glad that God chose to save Gentiles too? And so he's here in Gentile territory, but he's silent. Why? Well, he had just had a whole encounter with the Pharisees about what was clean and unclean and trying to show them that their categories were all wrong, that they misunderstood what was clean and unclean. And now he's in Gentile territory to show that God has a love for all people and for all nations. You see, there's a great misunderstood mission of the Messiah of Israel. God's mission for Israel was to see the gospel proclaimed to the world. Right? When God saves Abraham, what does he say? You'll be a blessing to how many nations? All the nations. Not, not just Israel, all the nations. All the nations will be blessed through him. When Nineveh is at its height of corruption, what does God do? He sends Jonah. There's always this movement that God has a plan for the Gentiles. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. First to them, then to the other. Isaiah 52, it talks about, sorry, Isaiah 42, it talks about how the Messiah will be a light to the Gentiles. Psalm 87, verses 3, 4, and 5, it says what? Glorious things are said of you, city of God. This is Zion. I'll record Rahab, that's Egypt, and Babylon, among them, among those who acknowledge me, Felicia too, and Tyre, along with Cush, I will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and the one who were born in here, and the Most High himself will establish her. He starts to name Tyre and Cush and Rahab, which is, which is uh, Egypt and Babylon. And in the Psalms he's saying, you'll all be included in the city of Zion. There was always this movement in God's history that the light that the Jews had experienced was to be there also for the Gentiles of the goodness and grace of our God. But they didn't see that. The disciples had just heard a whole encounter on what was clean and unclean, and they just say, send her away, she's bothering us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Well, firstly, who's he answering? Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He's answering the disciples. They're the ones who just said, send her away. She's bothering us. He's answering them. It's a test. He tests two groups or two people in this text, in this encounter. He tests the disciples. 
Did you get what I just taught you? Did you understand this whole teaching on clean and unclean and not to call anything that God has made clean, unclean? Guys, did you get it? He's testing them. But he's also testing her. Why are you calling me Lord, son of David? Do you actually understand who I am? Why those titles? Why are you calling me these things? Well, this happens all through scripture, a reversal of expectation. You see it in Jesus in the encounter of the rich young ruler. I'll preach on this next Sunday. But Jesus in the encounter of the rich young ruler, what, what's, that, what's that encounter look like? Good teacher, Jesus says, there's no one good but God alone. What, he, Jesus isn't saying, don't call me good. He's saying, if you're gonna call me good, make sure you're calling me good because you know who I am. I'm gonna give away all my next week's sermon in one moment here. Then what happens is, is, is the encounter goes on, names the commandments. The young man says, I've kept all these since I was young. I've been good. That's what he's saying. Jesus says, well, one thing you lack. Take everything you have, go sell it to the poor. Now, Jesus isn't telling him to do something to be saved. You can't do anything to be saved. Jesus is trying to show him you're not good. There, now you don't need to come next week. <laughs> but it doesn't just happen there. The Good Samaritan. It starts out with, who is my neighbor? What box do I put in? I'm not preaching on this in this series, so this is fine. What box do I put this in? Right? Who is in my box and who's outside of my box? Who's my neighbor? Jesus flips it at the end and he says, are you a neighbor? It's a reversal of expectation. Lazarus, he's sick. Jesus, come heal him. Jesus waits until he's dead and dead and in the tomb for four days. I'll get to that one, so I'm not going to go too much there. But reversal of expectation. It happens all through Scripture. And that's what's happening here. Because Jesus wants to prove a point about their faith. Well, we, we understand some of their confusion, right? In Matthew 10, just a couple of chapters before, we see this. The 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions— do not go among the Gentiles or enter the town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Romans 1 tells us what? The gospel is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. You see that all through Scripture. The starting point was the Jew. God chose to call Abraham and save him. And in saving Abraham, God chose to grant him to be a great nation. But that was just the starting point because through Abraham, God longed to bless everyone, the world through him, that all nations would be blessed, that all nations would be touched. But the Messiah was going to come from Jewish heritage. The Messiah was going to be Jewish, the promised one, the one of whom everyone was waiting the one of whom they could say, he's the chosen one, the Christ. I mean, Christ is not his last name. It's his title. He is Jesus the Christ. He would have been known in terms of last name as Jesus, son of Joseph. He's Jesus the Christ. And he fulfills the law in two ways. Every Old Testament messianic promise is found true in Jesus. And he never sins. See, his righteous life is just as critical to our faith as his death and resurrection. Had he not lived a righteous life, had he sinned at some point, had he broken the law, he could not be our atoning sacrifice. He couldn't be. 
He couldn't take our sin upon himself. So Jesus in Matthew 10 says, don't even go them, because it's first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Now note in verse 18 of Matthew 10, on my account, Jesus says, you will be brought before governors and kings as witness to them and to the Gentiles. It's first for the Jews, but don't worry, we're going to get to the Gentiles, Jesus says. You're going to start with the Jews, but you're going to get arrested. You're going to start with the Jews, but you're going to be persecuted. You're going to start with the Jews, they're not going to believe you. And you're going to be brought in court before kings and governors, and you will be a witness to them and to all the Gentiles. The gospel is going to the Gentiles. In fact, in Matthew, who writes to the Jewish people, you see it. In his genealogy, he mentions Ruth. Ruth, why? She's a Moabitess. She's not of Jewish heritage, but she's the great-grandmother of King David himself. You just move over in the text not far, and there's magi coming. They're Gentiles. These astrologers, astronomers, they're Gentiles coming in. You get to the Great Commission, and what do you find? You're to go into how much of the world? All the world. All the world. Matthew continually through his gospels talking about that. And in this moment, he's brought Jesus into Gentile territory. Well, remember, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, Jesus said to the disciples, and the woman comes and says, Lord, help me. And he says, it's not right for children to take bread and toss it to the dogs. And here's her reply, verse 27. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Notice that was three times. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. She understands who she is. She's not insulted. She's not defensive. She's like, you're right. I'm outside of the, I'm outside of the covenant. You're right. I'm Gentile. You're right. I'm Syrophoenician. I'm a Canaanite. You're right. My people were the enemies of God. But I know you've come for more than just the Jewish people. I know you're the Lord. I know you're the son of David. I know you're the Messiah. I know who you are. And all I want is a crumb. All I want is a crumb from the master's table. You see, he's entered Gentile ter territory. You see this both in Matthew and in Mark. He's not just on retreat. He begins to heal people. He feeds 4,000 here, right? You know that. There's the he feeding of the 5,000. That's in all four Gospels. There's only two miracles in all four Gospels, right? Anybody want to name? No, I won't do a quiz. I'll just... Fe healing of the five, uh, sorry, feeding of the 5,000 is the one miracle in all four Gospels, and the resurrection is the second. They're the only two miracles accounted for in all, in all four Gospels. But the feeding of the 4,000, that's the Gentile feeding. That's in Gentile territory. That's what he's in Tyre and Sidon, found for us in Matthew and in Mark. That's why you know that they just didn't get the numbers wrong. They account both for the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 4,000 happens in Gentile territory. Why? Because the gospel is going out from the Jews to the Gentiles. The gospel is going out from God's covenant people to where through the blood of Jesus Christ, he's going to be able to covenant with all people from every tribe and every language and every custom all around the world. God is saving people. I mean, when the young people of our day talk about diversity, 
Our culture has nothing on God's kingdom. He is saving people from every language and custom and culture and tribe from around the world. There is nothing more diverse than his kingdom. His kingdom is a kingdom that is diverse educationally, socioeconomically, racially. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like his kingdom. And it's a good kingdom. Who can serve as an elder in a church in God's kingdom? Any man from any race, any culture, any tribe, any socioeconomic background who fits the qualifications of Scripture, right? I was driving up with an Uber driver today up here. We're down to one car. It's exciting. Um, we did it last year. Listen, I'll just say this quick. My, my, my truck was hit seven times. People were charged. One, one, one day, you know, I'm in the house. The truck had just been, just been hit um, by a young man who was 18, ran to the back of it, and it's parked legally on the street, and there's a police at the door, and my son comes running to the bathroom, and he's like, Dad, 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 you got to come. Like, the police are here. And I'm like, answer the He's like, I'm not answering. It might be for me. I'm like, what, what, what have you done? come out of the bathroom, come to the door, I'm there, open the door, and the police are like, are you Mr. Klein? And he's standing there, and he's like, this is the best thing ever. And I'm like, yes. He said, a city bus has just totaled your truck. Like, hold back in. So the city bus hit the truck where the kid had hit the truck, and that was the seventh time in six years my truck had been hit. And my brother said, you should sell the truck, and no one should drive with you. Um, now, I wasn't even in the truck when that happened. Listen, this gets better. I fixed the truck. The truck is fixed. It's been fixed for six days. I go to pick up a whole bunch of stuff from an organization that's helping us, and uh, I say just drop the skid on the ground, and we'll hand bomb it in the back of the truck, and he runs into the truck with the forklift where it had just been fixed. It was a great moment. And at that moment, my brother said, we're putting it up for sale. We're done. Get it fixed. Sell the truck. Um, we're putting it up for sale uh, because you should not be driving this no one, when no one should be. Um, listen, God, this morning as I was driving out, that was the whole thing with the Uber driver from Nigeria. As we were having this conversation, and I was talking about West Highland Baptist because he's a Christian. He was saying, Christians here are so different than in my country. He said, in my country, you have to be wealthy to serve in the church. In my country, you have to, I, he, he said, he just went on and on. And I said, who do you have to be to serve at West Highland? I said, someone who loves Jesus deeply and is following him. Culture, economics, race, education, none of that matters. What matters is character. And that's the point Jesus is making. He's also come for the Gentiles. You see, this is what she understood. Even a, t a crumb even a crumb from Jesus' table, the master's table, is better than the bounty of any other banquet. Is that not good news? Even just a crumb from the master, the Lord, the son of David's table, is greater than the bounty of any other banquet. Because he's the Lord. He's the son of David. I think of Tune, he was a young man in the Karen tradition, and as we uh, connected, he, his life spiraled. His best friend, you know, a couple of them had gone through this. I talked about Wally a couple of weeks ago, but his best friend had committed suicide. I took the funeral, and it just spiraled Tune into a life of drugs and alcohol and everything that came with it. 
And uh, as Tune engaged in that life, you know, his family lived in a two-bedroom apartment, his parents and siblings, and they just said, we can't have you live here anymore. And they kicked him out because he was selling drugs. He was involved in this whole lifestyle. His grandfather took him in. His grandfather was a great man of faith. His grandfather had lived the first 69 years of his life in the jungle and refugee camp. He never knew electricity till he came to Kinda. Could you imagine the first 69 years of your life without electricity? Didn't know running water or sanitation. He couldn't read or write his own language, let alone English. The only Bible passages he knew were the ones he memorized because he couldn't read scripture for himself. And yet he loved his grandson and he welcomed him into his home and he prayed for him and he shared the gospel with him and he lived his faith out in front of him. He'd never read an apologetic work by Tim Keller or someone else. He, he couldn't read. He couldn't defend the faith when the young man had all these questions. All he could do was live his faith out in front of his grandson. And last November, he passed away. And at his funeral, Tune was sitting near the front, and he just bowed his head weeping. Because when everyone else had left him, his grandfather took him in. When everyone else had abandoned him, his grandfather welcomed him in. And as he heard the gospel declared at his grandfather's funeral, he realized that the difference in his grandfather's life was Jesus Christ himself. And at his funeral, after his grandfather had passed, that man of great faith who believed God could save his grandson, God did it at his funeral and saved his grandson. And he won't see him till he's in glory. And the day I baptized Tune on my second last Sunday at James North, his dad, who had kicked him out, played the guitar while his son Tune sang this song of worship to our God. God can save anyone. Is that not good news? And the grandfather's great faith was simple. I can't read or write my own language. The only scripture I know is the scripture I can quote. But I know this. God's going to save my grandson. And he prayed for him. And he lived it out in front of him. And he showed him Jesus. There are people that have no faith. They're the ones that will execute Jesus. There are people with little faith. That's the disciples, right? Jesus is walking on the water. They've already gone out. They think it's a ghost. He says, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Peter says, if it's you, call me out. Jesus says, come. Peter gets out onto the water. And as he's out onto the water, a wave comes out. As the wave comes out, this is Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, what? You of little faith. Why did you doubt? The other disciples didn't even get out of the boat. Peter's got little faith. He's walked on water for a little bit. What does that say of the other disciples? And she has great faith. Great faith is humble, broken, reverent, persistent. Do you know what Jesus says? As you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, uproot yourself and toss yourself into the sea and it will do it. Now that doesn't mean after church you can just go out and uprooting mountains here and there. What it does mean is this, is if God has called you to something, whatever that something is, if the something is over here and God has called you to it and you're here and there's a mountain in the way, regardless of what that mountain is, 
that if God's called you to it, you can have faith in the one who's called you to move that mountain out of the way so that you can accomplish the task that God has called you to accomplish. You see, our great faith isn't about the quality of our faith. It's about the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Master, the Messiah, the Son of David, who is the sovereign I am, who holds the universe together by his might and will, who saves us by his grace. Our faith is in him. Our faith is in him to restore relationship. Our faith is in him to offer forgiveness to those we don't feel deserve it. Our faith is in him to reach out to our Muslim neighbor. Our faith is in him believing that the one we wrote down we will be able to share the gospel with and God will be able to save. West Highland, your faith is in him for your new pastor. I'm thankful for a qualified search committee and the robust search that they're going through. But your faith isn't in them or your elders. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one in whom you put your faith. Because even a crumb from the son of David, the Lord's table, is greater than the bounty of any other banquet. And in a moment, we're going to hold a crumb. We're going to hold a crumb. Who is this for? It's for anyone who's turned to Jesus Christ as Savior. It's for anyone who's believed. For anyone who's trusted him. This crumb is for anyone who's believed. A crumb from the son of David the Lord is greater than the bounty of any other banquet. And his crumb is his life given for us. His crumb is his life shed for us. His crumb is his grace given to us. That he would take our sin. That he would give us his righteousness. That we would be saved. Is he not a great God? Because even a crumb from the son of David, the Lord's table, is greater than the bounty of any other banquet. And at that very moment, her daughter was healed. Oh God, give us great faith. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we're thankful for these encounters in Scripture where you have chosen to engage people. And we're thankful for the grace that you have extended. God, we pray now as we celebrate this table, your broken body and your shed blood, that you would be with us. Jesus, may all of us here live out and believe that just a crumb from your table is greater than the bounty of any other banquet because what you offer is good. You offer yourself. And we pray this in the powerful, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. As our benediction today from 1 Peter chapter 2, hear these words as Peter the Apostle is talking to the Gentiles about their inclusion in the family of God. As you come to him, the living stone, who was rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ.
You are a chosen people, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And God's people said, Amen. Have a great day in the Lord.